Well, hello, my name is Steve Dwinnells, and I'm the director of the Instructional Design Center, which is part of eCampus here at Eastern Kentucky University. We have the privilege of working with a number of great faculty members, and the purpose of this podcast is for you to get to know some of these faculty members and learn a little bit more about what they do and, and uh, their disciplines. Dr. Ann Callahan is an Associate Professor and Master of Social Work Program Director and Online Coordinator at Eastern Kentucky University. She has a PhD from the University of Tennessee and a license in clinical social work. Dr. Callahan has over 20 years of experience as a social work practitioner, teacher, and researcher. Her research focus on spiritually sensitive social work in hospice, palliative, and long-term care. This includes the book Spirituality and Hospice Social Work, published by Columbia University Press. Welcome, Dr. Callahan, and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Steve. EKU is beginning a master's in social work program this fall. And Dr. Callahan, would you just tell us a little bit about the program and what your expectations are of it? This program is an opportunity for social work students and also non-degree seeking students to engage in interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary, transdisciplinary, whichever term you prefer, um, education. So essentially folks are going to be taking elective courses as part of certificate programs in mental health, in addictions intervention, child and family services, uh, social advocacy and justice, and leadership and management. And so those are the most common areas we see social workers going into. Um, we have also folks that are interested in um, other types of disciplines that can feed into the knowledge base that social workers draw from, like psychology, um, sociology, child and family, um, nursing. You know, there's lots of disciplines that help social workers do what they do. We draw from various knowledge bases across disciplines. And in the process of drawing from various disciplines, the knowledge base that they offer, um, we learn some of the skills and tools in these allied health profession courses, as an example, uh, in order to better do our own jobs as social workers. We have many social work practice theories and, and research and skills that we employ, but we also are mindful of what other disciplines do and how other professions inter interact and engage with um, us and clients in serving various populations across settings. And so that's gonna be the crux of our program is preparing social workers, advanced social workers to be able to handle um, high level performance expectations, addressing social problems, huge, huge problems in this world that we're, we're tackling as a collective. Um, no one can do anything about poverty alone. I mean, you need to have a collective effort of, of experts. And so we're preparing social workers to be amongst those experts, those leaders that are doing something about poverty. They're doing something about child uh, welfare concerns, um, addictions issues. I mean, these are huge issues. And so I, I feel very confident that our program is going to be innovative. Um, it's going to be accessible. It's going to be low cost for folks to be able to, to get in there and become advanced generalist social workers that are integrative, have that integrative piece where they're drawing from various disciplines to better do their job. Well, that sounds like an exciting proposition. Do you expect a large turnout for your first class? 
We do. Actually, we've had a, a, a phenomenal increase in numbers of BSW students. We have an online BSW program that's relatively new, and that, that's grown by leaps and bounds. And, and so we've had very positive response so far with the MSW program. Lots of inquiries, hundreds of inquiries, really. Um, and and uh, applicants are, are coming in. So we're, we're ready to go, and, and we're looking forward to and, and, of course, we're going to be accepting new applicants three times a year up to four times a year. So we have entry points for students to join us at pretty much any time to start out and get into that program and start taking some of those initial courses to, to get on track and graduate relatively quickly. Oh, very good, very good. I've got a, uh, a question more on the practitioner side for you. Um, as a social worker, uh, social work professor and practitioner, how would you help a person cope with the many difficulties and challenges we've had in 2020. I mean, we've had a worldwide pandemic. We've had a significant economic downturn. We've had senseless killings. We've had mass protests that have turned into riots and looting. Any one of those is enough to cause a lot of anxiety in a person. As a human services worker, how do you help? What does a social worker do that could help? That is a huge question. I mean, it really depends on the setting within which we're working. So most of my experience has primarily been in mental health. And so obviously during times of civil unrest, um, there's gonna be a lot of anxiety. Um, there's gonna be uh, potential depression. I mean, there, you know, there's symptoms of depression and then there's clinical depression, two different things. Mm -hmm. uh, anxiety, symptoms of anxiety, nervousness, and then anxiety disorder, uh, panic disorder, uh, agoraphobia. I mean, they're, they're clinical symptoms that warrant professional help, but the everyday person can experience symptoms or feelings of anxiety or, you know, feelings of depression. And that's natural. I mean, some of this is tumultuous to, to go through, you know, real time. I mean, we're not talking history books, you know, reading stories to the past. We're in it. We're creating history, you know, and, and it's an amazing thing to be a part of this time. All the changes that we're going through, I think it's transformative for our society. It can be in a positive direction. I, I'm a firm believer in, in growth as being a positive thing. We can grow toward further development as a society that's uh, better at being able to accommodate diverse needs and in um, respect um, various diverse needs and create a system that um, uplifts and takes full advantage of people's diverse capacities in addition mm -hmm. to needs. So, I, I mean, it's a thrilling time or really, I mean, I know that it, there's a lot of anxiety, there's, there's concern, there's worries, perhaps depression that can culminate to a clinical state necessitating professional help. But I, I think it's an exciting time as well, where we have many opportunities for growth, uh, positive changes. And that's what social work is about, really trying to capitalize these moments of, of instability and ensure that new patterns are put into place, new systems are put into place that can really help us grow and move forward. And uh, a lot of the work that I've done in the past as a clinician has entailed, you know, I mentioned mental health, but crisis intervention has been a big part of my work as, mm. you know, as well. So um, crisis intervention, this is the, the essence of a crisis, being able, slightly unstable, but, but being able to, to capitalize on those moments of instability, 
and, and embrace change. Because usually in moments of instability and periods of instability, we're the most malleable. You know, we're uncomfortable. We want to, we want to, we want to get rid of this pain. We want to get, no one wants to be uncomfortable. And, and change entails discomfort. That's why we create, and that's why we change. You know, that we, we need to have some degree of discomfort or some vision for something better or something more, or something different that propels us into that next step. And we don't really change necessarily when we're in, in, a, in a comfortable state. So I think this can be a therapeutic change for individuals finding, I don't know, um, for a larger society. That, that's the thing about social work. We, we intervene on a micro level. Mental health care is an example, individual level, um, and a meso level, on a group level. So you have group interventions for social workers that could be coping skills groups that have moved onto a virtual platform. Clinical social work has moved on to a, a, a telehealth platform on a micro level, working individual counseling. You're seeing a lot more telehealth um, these days, uh, group work, um, uh, using Zoom technology. So, you know, the nature of, of, of humans is to survive, you know, so we figure out new ways to, to, to be able to get our needs met. And social workers are part of that process, facilitating that process. On a larger systemic level, we're going to need some policies, you know, some policy changes. And social workers have been a part of that process and conversing with, you know, legislators. They've been collecting up signatures for petitions. Uh, we've been, you know, expert testimony um, in, you know, in, in witnesses to, in, in state legislatures and um, federal uh, level uh, and uh, court cases. I'm, uh, many more to come, most likely. But uh, we, we provide lots of direct feedback for policies that are working and policies that aren't working. Um, we provide direct feedback to legislators and, and uh, lawmakers um, and uh, judges and, and other people in authority. Sometimes social workers are those people in authority. They move on up into being elected into positions of authority. And, and so we're providing that feedback of what we're seeing out on the front lines. It's really uh, an important role. So on, on you know on three different you know three different levels, uh, you're asking what what can we do? I guess it kind of staggered moved a little bit away from your original question about um, uh, you know how do we respond? Uh, what can we do as social workers to help in that response? It's really about growth and about forward movement and and, and survival, and and social workers help people in times like this identify opportunities that can lead to really ultimately the fullness of life which is what we all want we just want happiness we want well-being um, and 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 it takes more work for for some folks than others depending on pre-existing conditions depending on our circumstances um, some of those circumstances are things we have to uh, change internally um, but some of those changes entail working with larger groups of people maybe within a family or a larger community context so that's that's where we are and social workers are, you know, hopefully right there with everyday people helping them through this. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, as I've thought about these incidences that have happened, the pandemic and the economic situation, I never thought of those things as good things, but your point about how change is necessary at times that this is how it would happen. It's a very good point. It's a very good point, one that I would have never thought of. Um, I'm the person that's been in the house for four months and uh, don't get out and a little afraid to get out because of what's out there. But in fact, it seems like um, 
I, I think you're right that overall there needs to be changes and this is a way to, for those changes to occur. So. Well, we're finding out what's working with our healthcare system in terms of our, you know, some of the policies we have. We're finding out, I mean, I guess one of the things I have been most interested in is uh, technology. And, um, you know, which is one reason why I'm so passionate about online education with the master's program. Um, I've been thrilled to be a part of that uh, in creating access to opportunities online for education. But with this pandemic, we have had opportunities to explore the limits um, of our current system for folks that have disabilities um, in providing them access and allowing access to education, reading material, I mean, anything, what, you know, you know healthcare, I mean, uh, whatever you can access face-to-face -face is something that we have to convert to an online environment. And I think that allows people uh, a direct experience of what it's like to have a disability. Um, not being able to leave your home um, because of a pandemic somewhat parallels the, the challenges people may face with a disability in, in, or even um, geographically as a, you know, as an example of, of a, some type of a structural limitation to your ability to get out and, and, and fulfill your dreams. And, and so at least with the MSW program, um, creating access through a virtual um, portal, kind of like with access to telemed, uh, for, uh, access to mental health care, um, all these opportunities are you know, accelerated. Access to, to these opportunities are accelerated because we have this new awareness of this pandemic that is limiting our freedom to move about. But there are many people that are, they've always had, they've always had challenges in being able to move around freely uh, without question, um, without having difficulties because of the environment's not, has been disabling really, um, or because of geographic isolation or distance and lack of access to opportunities nearby. So I, I, I really appreciate the, I mean, I don't want to have this pandemic. I don't want the, the death, the fear, the anxiety, and, um, the life-changing events that are occurring with it. But I do appreciate the experience of an increased empathy and the insights that we're gaining in this experience of, of recognizing what life is like when you have physical limitations, as one example, or other types of limitations to being able to achieve your dreams and get out there and, and get, you, get what you want. Like I used to take for granted, oh, I'm gonna run to the store. I'm gonna go pick up a dessert. Let's go to let's go out to eat. You know, I don't. Let's go get my haircut. I mean, how many? You know, we just don't. Now we take these things. Um, we we take we don't take them for granted. I mean, I used to take these things for granted, but um. So so in a way, thankfully, it's we're helping. Um, this is helping us gain a sense of sensitivity to increase sensitivity to to the limitations that come with um, any kind of um, limitation due to other factors, um, whether it's a health issue that keeps us home or it's a geographic distance that, that limits our access to, to things. Or it could be, um, you know, it could be lots of other types of barriers that we have in our society based on race, gender, sexual orientation. And those are the types of, those are the challenges, those are the types of barriers, systemic barriers that, um, that we address as social workers. You know, it's inherent to a person but the negative aspects of diversity that are um, uh, the consequences of a society that's not accepting, um, those are the things that we tackle head on as social workers. Um, so it's, it's times like this make us gain that sense of sensitivity to, to being a diverse person um, facing those types of limitations. 
Very good, very good. How would, on a micro level, uh, as a practitioner, how would you, what would you do to help someone who simply, lack of a better term, just can't take it anymore? They've, they've, they're at their wits end as far as being in the house, uh, being afraid to go out, can't go to the grocery store because they may get the COVID-19 uh, virus. Um, they, they watch what's on TV and they see the, all the cultural unrest, societal unrest. And they finally just said, I can't handle this anymore. As a social worker, what would you say to that person? Well, I mean, how many times have they said, I can't handle this anymore? I mean, you know, how many times have we as individuals said that? I mean, you know, there's lots of times when we feel like we're just at our wit's end. And then all of a sudden, oh, I mean, like, it's like we're renewed. Something shifts inside. I don't know what it is, what it is internally. that ha It's like there's some self-preservation button that happens to click at some point that keeps us, keeps, helps us maintain our sanity and, and our endurance to keep going on. Um, I mean, that, I guess that would be the first thing is, we can handle a lot. I mean, you know, we can hand, we can, we can handle a lot. You may feel like you're at your wit's end. That's not the first time and you've made it through. So thinking about what have you done that has paralleled this experience of stress? Maybe this is the most ex stressful experience you've had. I mean, granted, it is an anomalous thing to have a pandemic, but in terms of the level of stress, in terms of, and we've been snowed in before. Yes, I know we, you know, we've had cabin fever. And, and we figure out, well, let's go make some popcorn or let's watch a movie. You know, we find something to redirect our attention. So that's one of the things. I mean, it's a basic coping skill is, is you, know, re, you know, redirecting your attention rather than feeding negative thoughts, uh, ruminating on neg negative or fearful things. You know, stop reading the paper about um, COVID-19. Take a break. You know, you're, you're, you're oversaturating yourself with that kind of negative information that's stimulating and feeding into that, that anxiety about it. Uh, find find some way to um, engage in self-care. I mean, not that so, I don't, I mean, I, I'd like to say that's so trite and we always talk about take care of yourself, but it's true. I mean, really deep breathing, uh, uh, meditation, prayer, uh, yoga. I mean, it is amazing how what self-care can do. I mean, you know, especially when you're not used to doing it. I mean, some of the things about this pandemic is forcing us to slow down and think twice about, well, really what matters? my family. I love my family. I don't spend enough time with my family. I'm working, you know, so really it makes you think about what matters. What am I doing to take care of myself, maintaining my health, uh, physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, you know, the holistic thing, having structure, having a main, maintaining a daily structure, even if you're in the house. Oh my goodness. How many journeys you can take when you read a book, you know, when you're just like sitting and reading and, you know, it's just so many, a novel, um, watching a movie. I mean, there's so many things that are out-of-body experiences that you can have that are you're not confined by four walls uh, but I think having a routine having a schedule um, taking a step back when you're feeling overwhelmed and thinking what am I what am I what is this that I'm thinking that's ex, ex, uh, escalating my anxious feelings I mean there is a connection between your thoughts and your feelings um, what, what are you thinking about how can you redirect your thoughts and, and focus on something else physically move you know, they talk about um, workspace at home. You can't get away from work. You're working all the time now. Find your workspace that's specific for your work. Don't do, like, I know for myself, I'm, uh, opening my, up my computer and looking at email is sort of a trigger for me. I get sucked into this vortex of working. So I need to not do that. You know, I need to, I need to 
totally just shut it down at the end of the day and really be disciplined about that and not let it creep into my, my personal time, my family time, really, you know, at, after dinner. I need to be not pulling up my computer again and checking emails. I really need to be disciplined about it and find other things to do. I decided to learn an instrument. So I'm going to be picking up my instrument in the evenings and plucking away, you know, so it's something I've always wanted to do. It's been fantastic. And it's really been an unexpected stress reliever. So you hear about people picking up new hobbies, try it. It really, I mean, it's really, it's, it's been for me, it's been phenomenal um, doing some different things that I would normally be uh, working 24 seven. And I now I have an opportunity to, but it's not healthy. And so if, if nothing else, you know, being disciplined and sticking with a routine, a schedule, and, and, and knowing uh, about the importance of, of um, the holistic approach to, to self-care. And, um, and then really thinking about, you know, re retracking your steps and thinking about what is it, what's, what's going on here when you start feeling overwhelmed, what, you know, what would it what have I what have I been have been doing what have I been thinking what you know what, what led to this anxiety and shift shift that gear shift uh, to redirect your focus to something else and and know that you're not alone I mean I think people start feeling like they're trapped and there's only one I'm the only one um uh in isolation no you're not we all are many you might see people out some people out with uh wearing masks some people not out wearing masks. I mean, people had different approaches. Uh, but, you know, all, at the end of the day, you need to do what's safe for you. And, and at least for me, that's staying at home, you know, kind of doing what you're doing. Um, and, and, okay. But it gets back to self-care and, and, um, and, and how do you care for others? Very good. And, and, and the way I care for others is, is at home, staying at home. Very good. Very good. Thank you. I want to shift gears here now, Dr. Callahan. Um, you have a, a very interesting uh, research uh, aspect where you look at the spiritual dimension of therapeutic relationships in hospice social work. And I just think that's fascinating. Can you take a few minutes and explain to me and, and to the audience what that is all about and, and how you got interested in that? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. I don't know about you. A lot of people, I'm going to go ahead and out, my, out myself here, but I've had therapy before. I'll just admit it. I've had therapy. I probably need, still need it now, but you know, but I'm, 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 I'm okay. But you know, but yes, I've had therapy before. And, and, and in the past, when I've gone to uh, this therapist, I really needed someone to talk with about that understood me as a person from a spiritual standpoint. I'm a very spiritual person and religious person, by the way. Um, but I needed someone that, that would understand that, you know, and someone that, that could, I could talk with about those types of things. And, and, um, and she understood the language that I, I would use. And so that really made a difference to me. The person that I was seeing regularly actually was the same religious faith as I, as I was at the time. I was raised Catholic and at the time she, um, she's Catholic. And so it was really helpful to talk about methods of prayer and, and means of coping and, and just how I understand why things are happening, um, thinking about it from a, you know, from a theological standpoint. We didn't get really get into theology. She's an LCSW, and, um, but also a, a devout Catholic. And, and so it really helped having someone to talk about that type of thing. And um, again, it wasn't always necessarily a theological conversation. Obviously, I have a priest, a 
that I could go to and have those kinds of conversations with, uh, get into those details. But really, it was just like, I don't know, just so, a safe place really for me to talk about those kinds of things, those kinds of questions. And, and you know, why would God do this to me? Or, you know, you know, you know, not that God would, do, you know, just kind of processed with that, you know, about those kinds of things. And, and so that's, that made me think about what would happen to me if I, what would have happened if I hadn't had that person that I could talk with about those kinds of things that, that would understand me from that standpoint, a safe person. And, and so that's, that got me interested in it. It really, really made me think about, because when I was going to graduate school, spirituality, religion, it really was sort of a taboo topic when it came to social work. Um, it was very, social work has gotten to, it's very scientific. It's very much evidence-based and religion and spirituality was not really part of that paradigm. I mean, it was more of a, um, mystical, uh, you know, religion and spirituality is kind of like the opposite in a way of being positivistic, which is positivistic is more of the typical quantitative research approach. Uh, to data and, you know, and data and a collection and data analysis to evaluate efficacy of interventions. And so mystical, intuitive feelings, um, you know, spiritual um, insights and inspiration that really didn't factor into kind of like a scientific quantitative perspective. And so I can understand um, there being some hesitation to move in that direction within the social work field. But I have really, for, well, I know for myself, that's been a big part of what I have needed, as someone that would understand that part of me. And I know nursing literature, there's been a lot of research in nursing literature talking about how spirituality has been part of the holistic approach to healthcare, right. especially in hospice. Um, Cicely Sanders, or Cicely Saunders is the founder of the modern day hospice movement. Florence Nightingale is the founder of, the, of nursing. Both were very religious or, or spiritual at least. I know that Florence Nightingale felt called by God to be a nurse. Cicely Saunders really believed in spiritual pain as being an element of the dying process. And so really I've looked to nursing leaders as more of in terms of mentorship in this area. And then of course, Edward Kanda in social work, he has, he had written a book several decades now ago, uh, Kanda and Furman, Spiritual Diversity, where he talks about spirituality and how do we create a spiritually sensitive environment um, in a workplace? What goes into a, a spiritually sensitive environment? Well, I would say in a hospice environment that that would mean a place where people can pray or a chaplain, you know, a chaplain present, you know, a, a, an official that would be able to help you, or um, at least somebody sensitive like a social worker who knows that that individual cares about spirituality and would need some type of a spiritual leader in the community to come visit them, to help them make sense out of what's going on. And, and you know, if they do have, have those questions about what does my life mean now that I have this um, terminal illness or life-limiting illness, or how could God do this to me, you know, or should I, you know, is suffering, does suffering mean that I'm a better person because I can endure the suffering that God has given me to endure? Um, or 
and you know, you know, these are, I'm not saying this is like what, what you should believe. I'm saying these are, might be some of the things that people are asking, but they would need someone to talk with about to process through and someone that's comfortable. And I know that when I first got my degree and my master's degree in social work, I wasn't really comfortable talking about those things because again, when I was going to school back in the nineties, that was not really something we learned a whole lot about. Now the book, uh, Kanda and Firma, uh, wrote about spiritual diversity. That one was, I think the first edition was published in the 90s, um, perhaps later in the 90s, like 98. So, I mean, it's still relatively new in social work. How do we address spirituality? And and we have a lot of work to do. And so that's that's kind of part of, in, part of my mission is to contribute to that body of knowledge. And, and, um, and I, I think that uh, my approach is a little bit different though, in that I really believe that spirituality can be experienced through relationships. I, you know, it's the idea of relational spirituality that my life is made full by the relationships that are, that are a part of it, and it's that includes my relationship with myself, and and so to me, social workers can help. We're all about relationships that we we engage in the therapeutic relationship to help people improve themselves and and to to experience a, a sense of peace when they're struggling through whatever issue that they're facing in life, and so you can engage in whatever types of techniques maybe it's meditation maybe it's maybe it's not spiritually related coping skill to help you deal with anxiety but it's how do you treat your body do you have body image issues do you have are you engaging in self-mutilation that's not a really healthy or helpful relationship with yourself that's not really uplifting mm -hmm. yourself um i i think that that's that would require intervention to address an improved relationship with yourself. What about, you know, so a lot of times you think about, you know, relationships with other people more naturally, like marital couple relationships or relationships with your, your, your children or, or friends. How do you improve those relationships to add quality to your life? When you're facing the end of life, I think it's more likely for you to be asking those kinds of questions, kind of like a point in time when that's a, a crisis point in time, when you're questioning, what have I accomplished in my life now that my life is limited? I think that, you know, we all have limited lives, but when you're facing like clinically the end of life, when you're in hospice care or you're, you know, you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, you're really thinking about those things. You're really asking those kinds of questions and you, you need somebody that's prepared to answer, not answer those questions, but to help you process through those kinds of questions. So you're thinking about the quality of your relationships, I think, as part of that process, um, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your other people around you, that your loved ones, the quality of those relationships, the relationships that you've had with your larger space, your environment. For some people, they don't have a belief in God, but they very much get a lot out of being in nature. I love the water. I go to walk by water to help me feel a sense of peace. And I, don't, I can't explain that peace. I don't know why it is. Water is just something that I need. I need to have a nature trail that gives me a sense of peace. Just being out amongst the flowers. I have a huge flower garden. I need that for my sense of peace. So that's, you know, thinking about relationships with a larger beyond the self, a larger environment. For some people, that's a relationship with God. And, um, and so in essence, relational spirituality manifests on the individual level with, you know, within yourself, with other people, marital relationships, relationships with your family, friends, and then a larger environment, perhaps with God, if you have a belief in a higher power or you know, a religious belief, or it could be just with nature. 
you know, outside of yourself, out in the, out in the world, on a trail, you know, hiking. Those relationships are what add quality to life. And that's what, you know, that awareness of that quality of life is that, you know, that heightened awareness is what I would consider evidence of relational spirituality. And so social workers, that, that's what we do. You know, we're about relationships. We use, we work through the therapeutic relationship to help people experience the fullness of life. And that's an element of relational spirituality. That would be a relationship, one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone to help you gain a better sense of wholeness you know that spiritual dimension of the holistic approach to healthcare, you know biopsychosocial spiritual well-being so that's that's how you know that's how i'm approaching it from a relational spirituality standpoint and that's still you know relatively new we still have lots of work to do to test it out and a lot of it is based on theory look at looking at research from other disciplines heavily relying upon nursing literature and there's some work in the psychology literature looking at relational spirituality and how those how that idea um, informs quality of life, uh, enhances quality of life. Well, this so, brings me this brings me to another question, Dr. Callahan, and that is, <clears throat> you seem passionate about that that kind of research. Where do you see yourself going with with your research? Are you going to continue working in the spirituality? hospice type environment or are you looking at any any different aspects of social work that's a great question thank you steve for asking that so um right now especially with covid we've had a lot of as i mentioned earlier movement to telehealth um, online type interventions and so i'm really interested in how the online environment shapes shapes that experience of spirituality um you know a lot of online um interventions that relate to spiritual care like you have chaplains all over the place in hospice um, you have a telehealth uh, other professions other than chaplains social workers uh, different professionals psychologists uh, medical doctors that are using telehealth as a way to intervene a lot of times we talk and uh, please forgive me these are going to be kind of some scattered random thoughts it will seem like but i'll try to weave them together some of this is a work in process but in, but in online education, we talk a lot about social presence. And how do you create a social presence? How do you create that relationship? How do you forge that relationship with a student when they're across the airwaves? You know, sometimes our conversations happen asynchronously, where we post a comment on a Blackboard discussion forum, or I'm, I, I record a lecture, or we have an interview, and someone's watching it later. How do you create that connection with somebody? Maybe it's synchronistically, maybe it's asynchronistically. How do you ensure that people know that you're there for them? You respond quickly to their emails when they ask you questions. You, um, in, in how you write back to, to them, you make it very specific to that person. You, you ensure that they know that you care about them and, and how you write your comments and, and your feedback. You, you know, so there are different strategies. You know, maybe that's not, but some of this, there is literature out there that talks about the importance of social presence in the online environment. And we have different ways of operationalizing that. And so those are just examples of how I try to do that, is let people know, hey, I'm here, I'm here with you. We, we may not be in the same room, but I'm with you, I'm, I'll, I'm working with you, I want the best for you. And so that's the same for a therapeutic environment. You know, education, education is a type of an intervention, if you will, and, and social workers use educational interventions all the time. We educate people on coping skills, on um, new behaviors, to replace maladaptive ones or self-defeating ones. So educational interventions are integral to what we do as social workers. And, and 
and I'm interested in, in looking at how does spiritual care change or spiritually sensitive care change when you're using a virtual environment. So that's a really long, uh, pray, you know, uh, pray, long introduction to getting to where I'm at right now. Most recently, I've been working with several priests in the delivery of virtual worship services. So I'm interested to know, well, how does, how has that affected the, um, how has the virtual environment affected the experience of worship? Has it, has it, has it taken away from people's spiritual experience? Have they had a spiritual experience in a, in a virtual environment? Part of my job as a so, social worker is to be a facilitator. And so in this case, I have basically engaged in congregational social work. I have helped create this opportunity for these priests to continue their ministry and provide, it's like a type of palliative care, to provide mostly older adults access to this worship experience. I have provided technical expertise, created tons of slides, integrated music, uh, integrated church bells. I mean, you know, we've done it all. It's pretty amazing, you know, all virtually online using PowerPoints, using Zoom. People have had, we've replicated this worship experience online. Now I'm interested in knowing more about what has this experience been like for you? Why have you gone to the, now people have most recently had the chance to move to an in-person opportunity rather than just sticking with a virtual worship experience. So now I'm just really interested, you know, what is it that got you into using the virtual service? Why haven't you used a virtual service? How has it affected your experience having a virtual service versus an in-person service? So this is getting to some of the, what is the nature of virtual our virtual space? Can you create a spiritual space in a virtual space? What are the outcomes of that? And, and so that's I you know looking at, at the literature very quickly, looking at the COVID literature in terms of spiritual care, um, we're going to have to do more outcomes research, and looking at the impact of these interventions that are online, you know the virtual interventions. We're, we're, we try to do that in terms of virtual education. We need to do more of that in terms of virtual therapeutic intervention and educational intervention is a part of that. So, um, you know, some of those components that I mentioned earlier about social presence in an online educational environment, I think that transfers into some of these other types of environments. Social presence of, a, of the priest, of the spiritual caregiver, I think that would have an impact uh, on perceived quality of the spiritual experience of an intervention. I mean, I don't know. These are all these are all research questions, but these are questions that I'm interested in looking at, and, and those are going to be some of my next steps. Kind of processing through, working as a collaborative with these with these priests, uh, other people in this congregation. Um, it's definitely been a multidisciplinary approach. So really processing through, thinking about how we've worked together to provide this intervention, if you will, and then looking at the outcomes of it. Very good. Very good. Let me recommend to you uh, Dr. Callahan's book, Spirituality and Hospice Social Work. Just on a personal note, we had had hospice experience with my mother about a year before the book came out. So this was very, I was still dealing with some of the hospice type issues. And uh, this book was fascinating. Uh, so let me encourage you to uh, get a chance to read it, if you would. And Dr. Callahan, I look forward to your next book, whenever that comes out. and. Uh, I just appreciate your time today. Thank you for all your work and for your research. Thank you for what you do with EKU. Thank you. Appreciate it.